Welcome to Ideal Conditions, a Polygon podcast. From controlling temperature and humidity in buildings and food plants to restoring critical documents like x-rays and rare books, we're here to explore the challenges and solutions for interior climate management and remediation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ideal Conditions, a podcast brought to you by Polygon. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the program. On this episode, we're going to be sharing some examples of projects that Polygon has worked on that really exemplify their expertise in climate control. And so joining me for this episode, I'm thrilled to welcome John C. Pfeffer, Business Unit Manager at Polygon to the show. John, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Absolutely. Thrilled to have you on the show here today. We're also joined today by JT Gunner. He is the business development specialist at Polygon. JT, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Of course, of course. We're thrilled to have both of you guys on the show today. And we're going to talk through some really exciting examples that really share, um, you know, the technical expertise, operational excellence, and customer-focused solutions that the team at Polygon provides. And so, John and JT, let, let's start off with uh, maybe one of the most interesting locations that you can think of when it comes to climate control, and that is inside limestone caves in Missouri. Tell us a little bit about this project, how it came about, and what some of the goals of the project were. We uh, um, had gotten a call from from a customer, and it was uh, they said, "Hey, we need to put in some some." temporary climate in a cave that they are developing and uh that's obviously when you get that first call you're like cool we get to go spelunking here a little bit or something so um but no it, it uh here in the st louis area we have some underground storage from from old they're they're basically just cliffs that they mined out and they don't use them anymore for anything and they they were developing um um actually a food processing facility inside this underground storage and that you know if you actually think about using the earth as the insulation and that type of stuff, it works very, very well. However, they just didn't have the equipment to get the temperatures they were needing down there. So we, uh, we did several site visits. It, uh, it, it turned out, you know, some challenges because obviously there's some uh, recordings that we, we worked on with uh, being underground and not having cell service and whatnot. So there was definitely a little bit of challenges on watching equipment, but uh, no, it, it was really cool because we got to go there, see the process where they were actually developing, um, you know, uh, an actual food manufacturing facility underground. And we provided that temporary climate until they had their house systems put on. So it was, uh, it, it was something that you don't ever, you know, when you get that phone call, you get to go to a cave it was uh, it was pretty cool to to drive in there for the first time, and every time you go in there, it was something that was you're, you you kind of got a cool factor going in. Cool, we're going to a cave today. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding, absolutely. So, John, give us your perspective on this on the scale and maybe the scope of a job like this, where you're going underground, you're going to be in caves and that sort of thing. From from beginning to end, what what did a job like this look like? Well, you, of course, it's a challenge of being underground, right? And how we access that the space. Uh, you're you're not talking about a you know, a garage here, you're talking about a significant amount of space and being able to access that space, uh, finding the necessary power and, and being able to control it properly is, is a huge challenge. So, um, you know, we, we were able to design a system that allowed us to get into, you know, a fairly significant distance underground while at the same time maintaining, you know, some pretty, pretty tight conditions. So, it, it's, it takes uh, more than a few people to get involved uh, to make sure we have the appropriate design. And also, you know, on, mo- on projects like this and most projects, you know, JT would be on site immediately taking a look and, 
it takes uh, it takes a few people, but the challenges are are significant. But you know, we're, we're uniquely uh, designed to handle that kind of stuff. So it was it it is quite a quite a unique job site. That's for sure. That's for sure. Tell us a little bit more about the the process to go from you know uh, from like the sales process uh, of finding out that that you have this job to working with engineers. John, you just mentioned that that quite a few people have to be involved in a project like this. What's the coordination like? You know, all throughout the organization to make sure that a job like this goes smoothly. Yeah, and most of the time it'll start with the, with uh, JT with the business development specialist, and you know they they'll be working with a customer and they'll, they'll do some discovery with the, the type of conditions and specifications that are required and uh, site visits to determine, you know, uh, job site restrictions and things like that. And, and then we assemble uh, the engineering group that we have and, and go through the process of determining the best solution. So, and then once you have that solution, you have to implement it. So we have to have the operations team uh, get together and, and uh, make sure they understand what's going on. And then you have people, you know, JT a lot of times will be on site, but we have a project manager that will take over the project and make sure that everything's implemented correctly and communicating with the customers. So um, on projects like this, you know, there's more more people involved than normal, but, uh, you know, our process is, is pretty straightforward and, you know, it's worked, it, it's worked well for years. Absolutely. Well, excellent stuff. Uh, I mean, what an amazing first example to share working inside a, a limestone cave. Let's take a, a, a look at our next case study, and that's the Missouri State Capitol refreshment and refurbishment. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, buildings like this can be massive projects, right? Uh, you see uh, sometimes just uh, how big a project like a refurbishment, a refreshment of a state capitol building can be. Uh, who wants to tell us a little bit about this project and what kind of went into this one? Anytime you're working with with something of, of that magnitude, everybody has has eyes on it and ears on it, and they're watching everything. And you know, when we first got the call, I almost didn't understand the magnitude of it either, um, because what they did was they they actually wrapped the entire Missouri State Capitol. And if you've been been to any other states and seen capitals, they're they're beautiful buildings, but they're also really really big. Mm -hmm. um, they built scaffolding around the, the entire exterior of the Capitol itself and uh, covered it with a really thick um, poly, uh, real thick plastic. So they basically, uh, for lack of better terms, bubble wrapped the entire, the entire Capitol. Then we had to, we had to control the environment inside from the exterior of the Capitol to the inside of that poly. So basically we were just conditioning the space in there. So the, the refreshment refurbishment, there was the tuck pointing and redoing of the entire concrete on the outside of the structure. So if there was, you know, broken, broken granite or anything broken off of it, they were completely, you know, replacing that plus just, just giving the entire Capitol a, a refreshing. And this, you know, when we first showed up, um, you know, we had a lot of equipment, a lot of really big equipment we had some struggles with uh, weight requirements because they actually they actually flew our equipment well not flew but they they craned our equipment to the roof of this of the capital. Um, we had some restrictions on weight, so we actually um, was able to, to to figure out a way to get some weight displacement mats to put our equipment on. And and when you when you pull up on site that very first morning, our equipment's there on semis. We've got a great team of of operations and myself and we're all getting ready to get busy and it's july in in st louis area or missouri so it's hot it's muggy and uh 
yeah, I, I remember it well. It was, it was when you first pull up, it was pretty daunting looking at something of that magnitude. And, and we're going to, we're getting ready to fly equipment up here. Um, we get to walk up the side of the Capitol that, you know, big feller like me doesn't like to walk up that many steps that many times in a day, but it was, uh, all in all was, was really, really awesome to do that. And, and we had to go through, um, you know, about five seasons worth. So we did cooling twice. We did heating, um, heating twice. I actually had a little third season of heating as well. So it was, it was pretty awesome. We, we were there from day one and um, they even had a helicopter there flying, flying some statues off the very, very top of the dome of the Capitol. So seeing everything that went involved with it was, was really awesome. We were, I was in contact with the, the superintendents and all um, probably uh, weekly, if not more than that during the week, but it was, they were, the job we did was incredible. The job they did was awesome. So all in all, it turned out well, but it, you know, project that lasts that long, um, a tornado went through the area. I, we, <laughs> we, they, they, we didn't lose any equipment off of the, off of the dome, thank goodness, but it was, um, you know, they lost a ton of this poly and it really, really a cool job from beginning to end and, and seeing how they did that. And, you know, when you drove by the Capitol, it literally looked like it was gift wrapped for somebody. So it was, uh, it was, it was a really, really awesome one. John, what's your perspective on this project? I mean, massive building, like JT mentioned, and, uh, and the, the duration of a project like this um, kind of adds challenges as well. Yeah, so one, the big challenge is making sure you, you understand, the, obviously, the scope, but making sure that we have, we are in agreement with the customer on the type of specifications that uh, we're going to perform at. Correct. So we we need to make sure when you're looking at 12 months out of the year, you know, there's transition times and we, we needed to be able to develop for them uh, a cost structure that represented fuel consumption and, you know, mobilization and demobilization, but also too some of the job site restrictions, you know, the building was in use. So they had some very specific restrictions to uh, uh, prevent any safety issues that might involve pedestrians or anybody that might be using the capital. So it was, uh, it isn't your normal job site. Um, there was some aesthetic uh, uh, requirements to, to make sure that we were, everything was pretty. Uh, and and it, so there were some unique challenges. And like JT said, you know, it's a building that's complete, a big building that's completely wrapped. And, uh, you know, at night when they have the lights on, it's like a beacon in the sky. So it, it, it had additional scrutiny because of that. And it was uh, ultimately, um, they were fantastic. You know, the contractor and the state was fantastic to work with and things worked out uh, really well. But again, a unique project um, using kind of our building blocks, our fundamentals and uh, for, for almost for over two years, uh, things worked out well. Amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, and just what an incredible project. What an incredible thing to be able to look at and say, we played a hand in that. I, I think that's that's really awesome. Yep. Um, absolutely. So let's talk about another place where climate control is really important. And that is inside hockey rinks. Now, uh, I'm in Dallas, Texas, where ice doesn't survive uh, very well, uh, too terribly often, but, uh, you did a project, uh, for the arena of a professional hockey team. Tell us a little bit about that experience and kind of what went into a project like this, where, uh, obviously climate control is a, is a massive deal. Uh, sure. And, and, you know, the, the same challenges you have there in Dallas is what we have here, even, even in the summertime. So, um, you know, dealing with this building, the building is probably <clears throat> 20, 30 years old. 
it, it's not necessarily made to maintain the uh, the hockey requirements that are required by the by the teams in the summertime conditions. So um, they actually have a requirement and it's called 60, 40, it's 60 degrees, 40% is what that building has to maintain to maintain perfect ice on the rinks. So, um, you know, down there in, in where you're at, the exact same standards fit for that building as well. So um, dealing with, you know, for us in the wintertime, no big deal. Um, for, you know, humidity and all is not, not that much of an issue. Human load, they don't worry about, but then whenever, um, you know, let's say if the teams continue to play through the through the spring and into the summer, if they if they were able to go that far, they have to add these add these systems in. And, and we've been lucky enough to do it um, two or three times now. Um, and and in the springtime, whenever the rain starts, the humidity starts, the temperatures get warmer. And yeah, we've we've got to come in. Their their systems can control the the, the actual temperature, so the sixty degrees is not an issue. Um, but then whenever you get into uh, the, the, the higher humidities, um, not only are you dealing with, you know, you may be dealing with dew points that are like you're in the tropics when it's raining to adding 18,000 screaming fans, drinking beers that, uh, obviously add, add a human load to everything as well. So, uh, it, you know, there, there's always challenges with that and, and we're able to, you know, we, we block off streets and use massive cranes and, um, you know, there was some challenges taking equipment off because there was a, a celebration going on. So, um, but it, it was, it was something that is really cool that, that nobody knows that you have anything to do with it. But, uh, you know, when you're sitting around, sitting around a campfire, you can tell your buddies about it and say, Hey, we, uh, we have a, a play in it after all. So, uh, it, it's definitely feathers in the cap, but it, um, had some big time challenges and, and, it makes me watch games a little more closely now to find out because because the way the guys told me was if there's if there's water on the ice you know there's a humidity issue generally or if there's uh um you know pucks bouncing hard ice there's generally a humidity issue as well they can always tell what the building's like by watching the game so learned a little bit while i was there as well so it was wow. it was really cool yeah that's that's amazing and, and obviously you can't have uh you can't have players playing on a slushy so uh so yeah you, you guys uh, performed a really important task there john tell us a little bit about your perspective on this project and, and what all went into it yeah so jt mentioned you know we you know people don't necessarily know you're involved and that's a good thing because if they did know we were involved it's because there's an issue on the ice right so mm. um the challenges are are significant because you are you're in downtown in a downtown environment and you you need to, like JT said, you have to block off streets. You have to coordinate with a number of contractors. Um, you have to make sure that everything's done in an efficient and a timely manner. But very specifically, the requirements, uh, you know, for the ice itself, uh, as along with the uh, the environment in the building. So you, you're taking in the existing building systems. So again, as you'd expect, uh, the engineering group was a very big part of coming up with the requirements. Uh, you know, what we needed, uh, the type of equipment we needed for the uh, facility and uh, the number of, uh, of our operation people involved with uh, setting things up and coordinating again with uh, the on-site people. So it, it it's challenging, but, you know, again, it's fun, right? You're in a, in a, a high profile situation where uh, you can sit back and, and watch and say, hey, did you know that uh, this is what we're doing there? So it, 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 uh, it does make it fun for sure. It's, all, it's definitely worth the effort. 
One other thing that, that I think might be good to, to mention here is, is that people are always, um, is the importance of data in a situation like this, right? And to be the, the ability to get real-time readings. How do you go about doing that? Um, tell us a little bit more about how you're able to maybe monitor and get real-time readings on, on what conditions are like and, and make adjustments. Yeah, so currently we have, uh, we have had for years actually a monitoring system that has um, obviously uh, changed over time with technology and, and uh, the in invent or the install of uh, 5G. So we have the ability to do, to sense not just uh, temperature readings, but we can go so, so far as to particulates and things like that. So it's really, it's really what the customer's needs are. And we work with those customers to find out what what are the critical things that need to be uh, monitored and sensed. And we have the ability to give them real-time data. And also they, it's downloadable data. So they have the opportunity to, uh, on any given day, at any time of the day, log in and see what's going on. And in many cases, depending on the scale of the project, there might be a, uh, you know, a room or a place where all this information is displayed on a, on a large, large monitor. Uh, and they will know, you know, there's alarming and things like that that allow them to indicate uh, or, or, or discover what's happening anytime during the day, anywhere in the building, anywhere in the structure, in the facility. So it's unique. It's a unique uh, system that we have. And again, it's, uh, every day is every day there's new developments, right? You know, technology changes constantly. So we may be using some sensors today that maybe tomorrow uh, we have some new technology that we can use. So it's an ongoing process. It's very exciting. And, and our projects and our customers are driving this for us so that we can respond to what they're doing. But it, it's given us an opportunity really to, to be involved in almost any type of uh, market uh, uh, that's out there. And it isn't necessarily that we even have to have our equipment on site. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty exciting stuff for, uh, for us and, and for our customers. Yeah, JT, how valuable is it to be able to to go to customers and say, "Hey, we can we can give you this real time data to make sure that you know whatever your goals are, that we're able to match and to meet those goals." Well, and, and we're we're seeing more and more of that request coming about, making sure that the you know the, these guys want to see it. Um, you know, five six years ago, we used it a lot of times um, just for our own knowledge. Uh, if the customer didn't ask for it, sometimes we'd use it just so we had an idea of what it's what our equipment's like. And sometimes we would know no issues maybe before the customer would as well and, and being able to monitor some of that. And without a doubt, they, and then it, it helps big time whenever they call and say, Hey, you know, is this, is this what we expected or maybe we expected more or it's work or we've had some that it's worked, you know, it's actually working better than we'd even designed, which is really dang cool when that happens. So when the customers call and, and are watching that as well, they're like, wow, you know, it, it wasn't just a uh, wasn't just a salesman selling us something here. These guys have actually came in, designed, and, and delivered. The way the market's going now is, you know, sustainability is a big part of everything we do now. So, and those sustainability sustainability goals are often very time specific to the to the end user, and we need to be able to adapt to that. But everything that almost everything we're involved with now involves some level of sustainability. And the, this system allows us and the customer to understand what that means for them, for their facility. And, and, and it gives them the ability to, you know, at the very beginning to benchmark where they're at and move forward. And, and, and also, you know, during the construction process, it gives you the opportunity to provide a healthy building 
to the end user, which is what the sustainability and indoor air quality and all those things are all about. So we're, we're, you know, we're uniquely positioned to, uh, to provide that information, but the ability to work with the end user really gives us kind of a leg up here because we, we have the ability to adapt and we can, you know, taking in the requirements from the, from the customers. Uh, again, that's what drives it. And it's, uh, it's actually a very exciting, make some of these projects that maybe not have, may not have been unique, make them, uh, make them unique because of the, uh, the information that we can provide for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fantastic stuff. Um, let's wrap up today talking about a really high profile example from the last several years uh, for many reasons, but you worked with a, a pharmaceutical manufacturer of COVID, te- uh, COVID test kits, uh, which obviously has been uh, massively, massively important over the last uh, couple of years. And so with the state of the supply chain as it's been um, and the precise manufacturing process necessary for something so important, uh, what challenges presented themselves for, for a project like this? So at the, the beginning of COVID, when it became apparent that the testing uh, was going to be a significant part of, uh, of the process, <clears throat> we were contacted uh, by, a, by a customer that was going to be, uh, you know, had developed a test. So as you might imagine, you know, that there's a significant amount of logistics involved with that, a significant amount of engineering, the requirements uh, that we needed to provide, uh, the climate we needed to provide in the space uh, is a uh, very specific, very tight, very almost no room for error. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, uh, involved with the engineering group, but also a variety of different contractors. Uh, you know, a building. This was a a new building to the to the end user, and we had you know it it started as a just an open warehouse, and within a certain amount of time, it you know it became a functioning uh, processing area. So. Our involvement, we were involved from the beginning so that we could coordinate with them to, you know, again, efficient install, but in order to make sure that we were uh, providing the appropriate conditions, we have monitoring systems uh, all over the place uh, within these, uh, you know, to monitor our equipment to make sure that we, the customer understands if something's going on, we have people on site 24 seven that are there to ensure that if there is an issue that they can respond very, very quickly, but also to it gives us, you know, the back to the monitoring systems an opportunity to see if something's wrong before even the customer does. So mm-hmm. all that was part of the coordinating effort, um, and it took took a little bit of time to get everything on site. There's a, a significant amount of equipment, uh, and we've essentially been there uh, for over two years, and uh, continue to be so. So, and we've been. Um, Fortunate that we have some very good people on site. Uh, the customers, again, a fantastic customer that understands what we're providing for them. And uh, that discovery process can be difficult in these situations, but uh, we had, again, very good, uh, very good uh, communication with the customer and the discovery process did not uh, take a long time and we were able uh, to get moving on things very quickly because logistically you're pulling equipment from all over the country to one site. Um, so there's some very happy truckers uh, 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 generated a little revenue for themselves. So no, it's, it's just been a, a fantastic, uh, fantastic opportunity for us. And again, it takes a lot of people uh, to make something like that happen. And the coordination from start to finish, we're not finished, but you know, to be able to have a running uh, operation is, uh, it's pretty impressive, uh, what, what was done there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. J- JT, any follow-up to, to John's comments just about this project? It was definitely an all hands on deck. Um, you know, as far as, as, you know, getting, you know, when John mentioned just getting the, the equipment shipped there, 
Um, you know, when this was going on, the world had changed literally overnight. So, you know, the challenges of not only um, no one knows what the heck we can even do, what we can, where we can travel to, where we can stay at. We had, you know, I, I don't know the number of, of personnel that we had on site at one point in time, probably 15 or more of, of our own employees there, as well as all this equipment coming in and, and other contractors. And, you know, we don't know if we can not work within six feet of each other. And, and the, the beginning, you know, this was in, in, like I said, early COVID when, when the world had shut down and we're trying to, you know, make a building to be able to, to help. So it was, uh, yeah, the, 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 the teamwork that went on at not the, from literally the very first phone call to, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of, of install and, and it was, it was truly like a, a symphony, if you will, just watching the, the pieces come into play and, and between John and the operations team and the engineering team. And it was, it was from afar, you know, I, I was at the, a different side view of it. And uh, it was it was amazing watching them all come together and work and and um, you know because everything like I said was up in the air and not knowing what our future even was uh, at a crazy time in our industry the uh, yeah they they came through miraculously and it's still and it's still going now so it's even better yeah JT brings up a good point uh, the challenges of not even knowing if you can find food um, you know guys being uh, being you know, from their homes, they're, they're not at home, they're at the job site, they're living in the area. You know, we actually had two job sites going at the same time uh, for this customer in different parts of the country. And the challenges of even getting to the job site on a daily basis uh, uh, in one location, you, you couldn't even cross the state line unless you had some way to uh, verify that you had the appropriate permissions as a critical contractor to even cross the state line. So. Uh, and, and that's probably the biggest part of this is, uh, you know, not knowing and still being able to get people uh, willing to participate and then coordinating with the contractors and things. That was a, and, and that's a very good point. JT brought up a very good point. That was a, that was a, a cha an unforeseen challenge that uh, continued for quite some time. And, and uh, but obviously uh, it worked out and uh, we're, we're very, very, very happy with uh, how things are going and it uh, it's proven to be quite quite a project quite quite a unique uh, kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity absolutely especially at a time when it, it was so desperately needed um in this country and around the world I, I think just being able to to work out the logistics and work through those challenges to, to be able to make a project like this happen i think uh, is a testament to what you guys are, are able to do uh, the solutions that you can provide and, and also just the ability to push through no matter what the the challenges and circumstances are so i think a really powerful example there yep it, it was uh, it's a testament to to really uh, the culture of the company and and the way the guys uh, the willingness to uh, kind of go into the unknown really you know you're away from your family in a situation where uh, you, you know, it, nobody knows what's going on. So it worked out uh, and it worked out fantastic. 
Well, excellent, excellent stuff. I, I love these these four examples that we discussed today because I think it showed just such a, a diversity of projects, um, different challenges for each one, uh, different needs uh, of different customers. And so I think this was a, a really fun, just an episode to, to be able to talk through these examples. So it's been a blast. John C. Pfeffer and JT Gunter. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today and uh, sharing a little bit more about your work and the, the amazing things that you guys are doing. Sure, thank you. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everyone out there, thank you for joining us for another episode of Ideal Conditions, a podcast brought to you by Polygon. For more, of course, visit the Polygon website or stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the show. The best way to do that is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts these days. You can find more episodes of Ideal Conditions there. So go check it out, subscribe, stay up to date with the latest and stay tuned. We'll be back soon with more episodes. But for JT and John, I'm your host, Tyler Kern. I'll talk to you next time.